welcome everyone to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to the second episode that we released this week. I appreciate your support. And if you were able to get through the last episode, which was called The Grim Reality of the Cross, I appreciate you and your toughness through that because that was not a pleasant podcast to listen to. And speaking of that, we are going to talk about something so glorious today, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Going back to last week's episode, however, we understand the grim reality of it. And we know for a fact that he did, in fact, die on the cross. And that he was put in the tomb. And it was sealed with a large rock. And before we get any further, one of the scariest and depressing subjects that we can talk about on planet Earth is, in fact, death. And we often avoid these conversations because we don't want to face the reality of our own mortality or our loved one's mortality. In Job 14.14, he asks one of the biggest questions one of the deepest questions, one of the most fearful questions we could ever ask is, if a man dies, will he live again? That's what it says in Job 14, 14. If a man dies, will he live again? Boy, isn't that a heavy loaded question? And that does beg the question, is there life after death? Agnostics and atheists believe that this is it. Our best life is now. You have about 70, 80 years, 90 or 100 if you're lucky. And that's it. It's complete nothingness. It's over. Hindus believe in reincarnation in which a soul passes from old to a new body and new life based upon good or bad choices you've made. You can come back as a human, animal, insect, or plant. Buddhists believe in reincarnation, but they don't believe in souls. They believe you go through that process of reincarnation over and over again until you reach a state of nirvana, which is like a place of paradise. In Islam, it's based upon works. And your soul goes to the angel of death, and you have to wait for Judgment Day to find out whether you are good enough to enter paradise or not. And so there is a lot of information we just got kind of blasted with in the last minute or so. But what's the right answer? Why are there so many religions out there? Why is there so much? And that's the big question. And I'll tell you this, I believe with my whole heart 
that there is more to life than this. You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. I have no belief that you, you're born, you go to school, you graduate, you find the job you want, you get married, house, car, have kids, have a dog, you retire, and you die, and that's it. I have no belief in that. There is no, nowhere in my soul that believes that this is it. And that's why we asked the question that Job asked. If a man dies, will he live again? And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is not the end. This is just a mere step towards eternity. This is a breath. It's a vapor, just like it says in James. And I fully believe with every ounce of my soul, my heart, my whole being, that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day, according to the scriptures. People scoff, and they chalk the resurrection up to myth and legend, and some say that he never even existed. He's just a myth. He was a, just a good teacher. That it was an actual spiritual resurrection. It wasn't an actual bodily resurrection. But we as true, authentic believers in Jesus Christ believe that he did, in fact, die on the cross. That he did, in fact, was buried in a tomb. And that, for a fact, no doubts, that he rose from the dead three days later. We believe that. There's no, well, maybe it happened, it didn't happen. It doesn't matter. Everything, everything in Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, solely relies on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you still are in your sins. That's a big deal. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything he said in Scripture means nothing. He's just a man. He's not God. He's a lunatic. So people would be right. If he didn't rise from the dead, if his body was still in a tomb somewhere, he was a heretic. He was a lunatic. Call, run around call himself God. And they would be right in that assumption. But he did not stay in that tomb, brothers and sisters. He is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So I'm going to give you seven reasons to believe in the resurrection. Number one. The disciples went from terrified to fearless. The disciples went from terrified to fearless. When Jesus was on the cross, and ironically enough, as I'm speaking right now, recording this episode, 
It is Good Friday. And here in less than an hour, at three o'clock, Jesus will breathe his last. And the only disciple that was at the cross was John. I will say that I believe that the rest of the disciples were around, maybe far off, but I believe that they were watching. But they were scared, especially after Jesus died and was buried. I want you to listen to this. In John, the 20th chapter, and starting in the 19th verse, listen to this. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. They were scared. They were terrified of the Jews. What's going to happen? But that did not last long. Remember, Jesus came in their midst. He disappeared. That's divine. And not just that, but he showed them the nail marks, his pierced side. And they watched him ascend back to heaven. But seeing the resurrected Christ ignited a fire that can never be extinguished because it is the Holy Spirit fire. So, again, they went from being fearful and terrified to being fearless, bold lions for the truth. After that, you could not contain the disciples. That's number one. Number two, Paul's conversion. As you know, Paul was a very, very intelligent individual. But not only that, he was a Pharisee as well. And what we have to realize here is not only was he those things, but he was a persecutor of Christians. He was at the stoning of Stephen, who was the first martyr. He went after Christians. He killed them, imprisoned them, and was a huge persecutor of the church. And it wasn't until the road to Damascus where Jesus met him. And upon meeting Christ, his world was forever changed. His life was no longer what he thought it was. It was all to serve Christ. And he wrote the majority of the New Testament with, obviously, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that is number two. Number three, no body of Christ. If the resurrection was a hoax, if the resurrection did not happen, they would have had the body. They knew where the body was. It was not a, a, some kind of a secret here. They knew exactly where it was. And not just that, but Roman guards were guarding it. 
I'm not sure about you, but if Jesus's body was still around, the Pharisees would have exploited that to prove that, hey, this man that claimed to be God, he's just a man. We try to tell you guys. Now the attention and power is back with us. But we know that the tomb was in fact empty. Number four, going back to the Sanhedrin now, the Sanhedrin's hoax. The Sanhedrin claimed that the disciples stole the body of Christ. And I'm going to challenge you with this. If the disciples really did steal the body of Christ, and when it came time for persecution, which after the resurrection of Christ, heavy, intense persecution of Christians followed. But if that happened and that started to come, and not just come upon the disciples, but it came upon those whom they loved, family members, fellow believers in Christ, wouldn't you think one of them would have cracked? And they never did. They never did. They proclaimed his death, burial, and resurrection up until their final breath. And that is a huge reason why to believe in the resurrection. Number five. 500 people eyewitnessed the resurrected Christ. 500 people witnessed the resurrected Christ. Let's jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And most of you know this is the resurrection chapter. Starting with the first verse, going all the way to the sixth verse. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Okay, so Jesus appeared to over 500 people, 500 eyewitnesses that saw the risen Lord. And, you know, Jesus' execution was public, and most would have known that he, in fact, did die. And taking that just a little step farther here, people who are scourged, as in Jesus' case before the crucifixion, didn't really even survive, let alone being crucified. So with this knowledge, three days later, seeing Jesus risen with your own eyes, it had changed everything. That fear and sorrow that you would have had turned to an inexpressible joy that would never be extinguished. That's the power of the resurrection. Let's move on to 
number six. Number six is Jesus's claims and scripture affirmation. Jesus's claims and scripture affirmation. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five that he is the resurrection and the life. And my friends, there is no life and resurrection outside of him, period. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever believes in the Son has life, and he who does not believe does not have life. Everything relies on who Jesus claimed to be. And he claimed to be the Son of God. And so, Jesus said in multiple passages, in Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, and Mark 10.34, he predicted not only his death, but that he would rise again. And what's really interesting is the Jewish form of execution was stoning. And why that's important? Because Jesus predicted that he'd be lifted up. And that was symbolic of the crucifixion, being lifted up on the cross. And so Christ was crucified, and Jesus knew that ahead of time. I'm not sure about you, but no one can predict their death. So Jesus not only predicted that, but he also predicted that he would rise again. And I want to jump real quick here to Acts the 17th chapter, verses 2 and 3, because Paul was using Scripture as a way to prove, in fact, that the Messiah that Jesus claimed to be was supposed to suffer and rise again. Now, you have to understand the Bible that we have today obviously is different than what the first century Christians had because they only had the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. But praise be to God that we have this book in its entirety. That we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. So now that we're at the 17th chapter, verses 2 and 3, I want you to listen to this. Very interesting stuff here. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He didn't make this stuff up. He wasn't getting this out of nowhere. He was using Scripture. Verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And you know, bottom line, it really boils down to one simple thing. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? And that's the X factor. Because not only was he saying that he is God, 
But the Old Testament affirmed this. But it comes down to, do you believe it? Because you can be shown all the evidence in the world. I would even venture to say that even if Jesus himself appeared today, people would say, nah, I don't think so. It's a hoax. Belief doesn't come all the time by seeing. And that's the difference. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's why it's faith. And what makes it so special about us today is that we only have these eyewitness accounts of the apostles and the Old Testaments and the prophets that, and I'm telling you right now, ladies and gentlemen, everything in this book points to Christ. It points to him. So Paul used scripture to prove without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So real quick, as we start to wrap up here, I want to go back over my notes here and we're going to go over the points that we made so far on why we should believe in the resurrection. So we have six reasons so far. Number one is the scared disciples became fearless. Number two, Paul's conversion. Number three, no body was ever found. Number four, the Sanhedrin's hoax, in which they claimed that the disciples stole the body of Christ. Number five, over 500 witnesses saw the resurrected Christ. And number six, which we just wrapped up, was Jesus's claims and scripture affirmation. And now, last but certainly not least, number seven, the weight of the resurrection. Weight of the resurrection. W-E-I-G-H-T. So we are going to go back to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, starting in the 14th verse, going to the 19th verse. I want you to listen. And like I said before, if you're following with me on this show, I would highly recommend that you have your Bible with you. And let me just say this as a kind of a side note here. I would highly recommend using a actual Bible instead of a phone. There's a something special about that. So let's go ahead and we're going to start in the 14th verse and going down to the 19th. Here we go. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep 
in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Okay. So, everything our faith relies on is in the resurrection. The resurrection as well as the death and burial, which is the gospel. But they are our foundation by which we have taken our stand in which we still stand today. And there are those who believe that there is no resurrection and that this is it. This is all life has to offer. And if that is in fact true, which it's not, but let's just say it is, Christ didn't rise from the dead and neither will we. Everything, again, heavily relies on the resurrection. Everything. And what's even scarier about that, if Jesus didn't rise, then our faith is, verse 17, worthless. And at 19, we are to be the most pitied among men. That's why this section here, we're talking about the weight of the resurrection. That's a heavy weight. It's a big deal. The resurrection needed to happen. It has to happen. And it did happen. Let's jump down to verses 20 through 24. It says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, which he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Okay. So, in those verses here, Christ has been raised from the dead first, and he is the first fruit of those who are asleep. Well, what does that mean? That means that he led the way. He led the way. And not only that did he lead the way, but it's important to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important as a testimony to the resurrection of human beings, which is a basic tenet of the Christian faith. Unlike other religions, Christianity poses a founder, Jesus Christ, who transcends death and promises that his followers will do the same. Every other religion was founded by men or prophets whose ultimate end was the grave. As believers in Christ, we know that God became a man, died for our sins, and was resurrected the third day. And here's what's really exciting. The grave could not hold him. He lives. And he reigns. And he sits today 
at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That, my friends, is amazing. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 44. And this is going to give us hope for our future resurrection of our bodies, which at the end of all things is called our glorification. So I want you to get ready for this. This is the one of the most exciting pieces of scripture, gives us hope, gives us that encouragement. I want you to listen to this. This is going to get you excited, people. In verse 35, it says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which it is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So, that was a that was a lot of verses there. So let's go ahead and wrap up. Our bodies now on earth are these three categories that we just read about. They're perishable, dishonorable, and they're weak. But our resurrected heavenly spiritual bodies will be imperishable, glorious, and powerful. What a promise that is. What a promise. And we all know what it's like getting older. Knees start getting weaker, start causing you problems. Back starts to go out. Hearing becomes questionable. Eyesight might need some new prescriptions. I know my my eyesight's terrible. Those start to fail us. But we have something glorious to look forward to. In which we will be like the resurrected, glorious, magnificent Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Now let's wrap up reading the 53rd verse all the way to 58. This is what it says. 
for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, wrapping up here. We have to put on immortality. How do we do that? By accepting Christ, putting our total trust and faith in Him, surrendering ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, and living for Him. Living to do His will. And when we do that, there is no more sting of death. Because he gives us the victory through himself. Therefore, going at the very end here on verse 58, brothers and sisters, we must be steadfast, solidly based in Christ, immovable. You're not going to shake my faith. You're not going to shake my stance. You're not going to derail me on the path of righteousness. And you're going to be constantly overflowing in God's work. Because Christ died, was buried, and resurrected, our work in the Lord is not in vain. There's, there's nothing to fear now. Because it says in Scripture, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So whatever we do, we do it all for the Lord. And we know that because Jesus lives, that there is a hope that, yes, I might die. But in him, I will be glorified. I will have a body that is not perishable, that is not dishonorable, that is not weak. I will have a resurrected heavenly spiritual body that is imperishable, glorious, and powerful. And not only that, I get to be in heaven and I get to be in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I will just humbly reverently, lovingly bow to the one who died for me, who counted the cost of sin and what it would cost if he didn't give up his life. And that, that would be eternity without us. And you, got to, you have to make that personal. If he didn't die on the cross, if he didn't rise from the dead, we are still in our sins and we are headed to hell. 
But thanks be to God that in his rich grace, mercy, and love sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for my sins, that if I believe in him with all that is in me, that I get to be in heaven with him someday. Yes, amen, and hallelujah. And I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And I want to add a special little note here at the end that I hope you guys have a great Resurrection Sunday. I pray that you would just be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would understand just the depths of his love and how much he loves you, and that you live boldly and strongly and powerfully for him, that we would do everything, word or deed, all for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Until next time, God bless you all.